0: You are listening to the DFJ Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find podcasts and videos of these lectures online at ecorner.stanford.edu. Today's special guest is Aaron Levy, who is the co-founder and CEO of Box.net. I got a chance to talk to him a few days ago as we prepped for this lecture. And I have to tell you, I think you're going to be wowed. He is inspiring and interesting and very funny. And he's got a great <laughs> story to tell. So without further ado, Aaron.
1: Cool. Thank you. And actually, <laughs> um, so I- Slight coincidence. Our company is actually underwritten by Draper Fisher Jurvetson as well. So, um, uh, this will, this will. Thank you, D.F.J. Um, can you hear me fine? Is it? Are we plugged in and everything? Cool. Very good. And um, I think so. I'm going to use a, a PowerPoint to uh, to go through what I'm talking about. How's everybody doing, by the way? Great. Great. Okay. Very cool. Okay. We're jumping right in. So, um, so I'm Aaron Levy, the CEO and, and co-founder of Box, and we'll talk a little about what Box is. And um, this is actually a new presentation. So. Hopefully, it's useful. I've done my best to make it useful, but you sort of get what you pay for. Uh, and I don't know how much you guys pay for the tickets to this thing, but um, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, okay, so everybody's good? Yeah. Very good. So you're, you're probably wondering, who am I? Why am I qualified to talk to you? What, what am I doing here? What, what can I possibly kind of impart on, on everyone? Well, the first thing is I don't have a college degree. So um, I, I dropped out of college when we, when we started Box, and so um, I didn't learn a lot of this stuff in school. Um, I was rejected from 90% of my internships, um, it turns out it's a bad idea to ask for a promotion before your internship starts. Um, so that didn't work out very well. And I don't have any estranged co-founders suing me, so no one's, <laughs> no one's, looking, to, uh, no, no one's looking to sue me or, or Box.net at the moment. Maybe there'll be somebody out there. Um, and I'm not even ta- Times Man of the Year. So, um, but I did cost less than Zuckerberg, so be, hopefully this will be kind of useful. Um, and I think the real reason why I'm here and why I have some amount of information to share with you is, is really simple. Um, I actually have gray hair. So, if you, uh, for, for the people who are in the front of the audience, you can actually see I have some gray strands of hair. If you're in the back, you can ask your friends in the front. Um, and the, uh, the real reason why I have this gray hair, can you, you can't see, oh no, so the, the, present, you know, the projector, you can't really see it. There really is gray hair. Okay. So um, the reason I have this gray hair is because I've been in the Valley for about five years now. We've been building up a company with a, with a whole bunch of friends. And uh, I've been through you know quite a bit and hopefully there's some lessons that, that might be useful, some uh, exciting stories in terms of as you're thinking about building companies or as you're thinking about growing your organization. So that's what I'm going to talk about and then we'll kind of open it up for questions and see if this is, uh, if this is useful. Cool. So um, first of all, what is Box? We've tried to build the easiest way for enterprises to manage and share and and collaborate around data securely in the cloud. Um, So we're a solution that businesses will use to share content, to collaborate with people in and outside their organization or be able to work from different mobile devices. But more broadly, make sure that they can work with lots of people around them. Uh, we have over 5 million end users, so this is more users than Salesforce.com or Workday or a number of other leading SaaS application. There's 130 employees at Box. We're right in Palo Alto, so come by if you're ever buying a, a, a electronic equipment at Fry's. We're two uh, stops over. Um, we're right in the kind of f- Fry's complex, and we've raised about 33 million in funding from DFJ, from Scale Venture Partners. Um, from uh, U.S. venture partners, and so uh, we've, uh, we've built up uh, a pretty good base of, of, uh, of uh, board members and some strong financing. So um, the reason why we're, we're growing and the reason why Box has been successful so far is that enterprise technology today sucks, and people need better solutions in their businesses. And so we've basically built a solution that's cheaper, that's faster, that's more scalable, that's more connected than any of the other technology out here. Has anybody heard of this company before or seen this product before? Okay, so for everybody that didn't raise their hand, you're going to live a lot longer by not having to work with this thing. But the, the challenge is most people in enterprises have to use this. This is a product built by Microsoft. It's very expensive. It's a, it's a multi-billion dollar product line for Microsoft. But most businesses and most enterprises have to work with it. And so we've designed technology that's much easier for businesses to use, much faster and much more connected. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about the three stages of box that we've been through. Um, And uh, essentially, they they kind of um, uh, will will highlight the growth that we've been through and how we've developed our product. Um, Our COO, Dan Levin, just walked in into the audience. Everybody say hi, Dan. Like three people said hi, so that's fine. Um, so there's, uh, uh, there's really kind of three periods of box. We, we started out in the early days. We were trying to figure out what we wanted to do, what we wanted to design. Then there's sort of chasm period, right? This sort of gap where we're really trying to figure out who we are, who, what we're up to. And this is something that I think all enterprises and all companies and all startups will go through. And sometimes that's a compressed period of time or a contracted period of time. In the case of Groupon, um, and sometimes it's a lot longer. And so you have to kind of figure out your way through that period and, uh, and make sure you're building something really special. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. So before Box, I was just your average college student. Um, I wasn't invited to any parties, didn't get any girls, so I had a lot of time on my hand. Um, and that's really why, why I got into entrepreneurism and, and starting companies. And so there were three companies that, that I started before Box, um, at the end of high school and into college. Uh, these were the three companies. So Zzap.com, it was the fastest search engine on the web, except for Google. Um, and, uh, <laughs> And that's usually a bad thing when you're, when you're kind of second fastest. And so um, they really beat us, and, and I'll get back at Larry and Sergey later in, in life. But um, then there was SoCalendar, the uh, easiest way to find events and entertainment in Los Angeles. The challenge is I didn't like events or entertainment in Los Angeles. So that didn't really help. Um, and then finally, we started Fastest.com. This was in, in uh, early period of college. It was, the, it was the sort of best and fastest way you could buy and sell a home, which makes no sense because I've never owned a home, I've never wanted to buy a home, and I've never sold a home. So you get the point, don't start companies that make no sense to kind of what you're doing or what you're interested in. And so in 2005, this was sort of a period in time where, um, where my co-founder and I were, were working between lots of computers, we were sharing information with lots of our peers and lots of our colleagues, and we needed easier ways to share information. And so in 2005, we, we sort of got the idea to start Box. No one was really using the cloud. Um, and back then it wasn't really the cl- called the cloud, you sort of put files on a server and you could connect up to the, to the web server through a, a, a user interface. And we wondered why shouldn't, uh, why shouldn't you store your data online? Why, why should you carry around a thumb drive or, or have to log into FTP? Why is the IT department at our, at our school not able to give us really easy access to information? Back in 2005, the web mail at, at, uh, at my school offered 50 megabytes of email storage. And and just to make things even more fun, they decided to delete emails after six months, automatically. So you can imagine the kind of IT environment we were working in. And uh, and of course, that would never happen at Stanford, but um, uh, we we had a lot of problems. And this is why we decided to start Box. Um, essentially, there was a really big delta in what was possible with technology and what was available with technology. We, gave, uh, we, we decided to call 10 random people and ask a bunch of our friends, how do you store your data? How do you share your data online? And every single answer was different and every single answer was antiquated, um, which really kind of presented an opportunity. We saw the market and we saw a giant gap in the market. And it looked something like this. Um, and, and so when you have that opportunity where something you believe in should be possible and the technology is enabling that, that's a, that's a pretty good way to kind of start a business, and that's how we got started with Box. And There were some major new macro factors that let us um, realize this was different than if we had started it back in 2000 when, when a bunch of the other companies that were doing this went out of business. The first is there's 8x storage efficiency. Uh, everyone is probably familiar with Moore's Law. If not, you should be. Um, but every single uh, 18 months, and, and now even kind of sooner in a lot of cases, there's a doubling of uh, a performance and, uh, and, and efficiency in how we do our computing. And, that was, uh, uh, and storage was no exception. So when we started the company in 2005, we could store eight times the amount of information in the same amount of space for the same amount of cost than you could have five years ago. And so this was a great opportunity for us to start the company with much lower costs and, and a much sort of easier way to scale up. Um, And there was also globalization and sort of remote uh, remote workforces starting to emerge. So people wanted to work from anywhere. They wanted to be able to share information with anyone. And we were experiencing this firsthand at school, but we sort of had the suspicion that other people had this problem as well. And you had Ajax, you had modern browsers, Firefox was just starting to come out, and you had much better bandwidth. Um, you couldn't have done this back in 2000 because uh, it was much, uh, we had much slower internet, uh, it was much harder to share information. You can't really share data at, at 56 kilobytes a second, um, but uh, with broadband that really made it possible. And so we had these new macro factors that made Box a, a, a better reality today. So we decided to commercialize the cloud. Let's, let's take something that's very fringe, something that, that you know some of the geeks and, and some of the other people will do on, on the edge of the market and really bring that to the masses. And, and that was a, a pretty good lesson. And so, in the process, a lot of people said no. And this is 2005, we're in college, people said, well, it's going to be too expensive to scale this. You're not going to be able to you know, raise the money to make that happen. You're too inexperienced, right? You don't, you've never done this before. Um, you're not going to be able to hire the people that it takes to do this. Um, and a lot of people said, but I already used Gmail. Why, why don't I just email myself files? What's wrong with that? Why, why is that such a big deal? And then we thought to ourselves, what if the Beatles listened to everybody that said no? Where would we be with music, right? Where, what, if, what if everybody that says no in the process of starting something, you decided to listen to? And so we decided um, we had to keep on going. We had to push on through And Just in case Beatles is not a contemporary enough example, what about Justin Bieber? <laughs> what, what, if, what if he listened to everybody that said no? We wouldn't have this music that we have today. And so, and so this, was, this was a pretty important lesson for us that we had to keep on pushing through. So we launched the product from our dorm room. We got a beta up and we launched the beta and we emailed everybody we knew. This was a pay-only service at the time. It was $2.99 for a gigabyte of free space. Go to archive.org and you can kind of look at the initial versions of our website and the product. And uh, we had just launched a site and it worked, right? We we emailed all these bloggers, all of the press, all of our friends, everybody we could get our hands on. And it turned out people signed up um, and people wanted to use... Uh, really cheap, cost-effective space on the internet. We had built a product that made sense and it was just took a couple months. Uh, we launched it from our dorm room and, uh, and it started picking up. And we decided, well, maybe now we should go through the process that a lot of companies uh, 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 that we had heard of kind of went through, which is we need to finance more growth in the organization. So we need to get more users and we need to be able to uh, enable more people to find out about us. And often that takes money. Now. Keep in mind, we're, we're, uh, at this time, we're 19 and we're 20 years old. And so it's a little bit difficult to raise venture capital when your co-founder looks like this. So that was, that's my uh, uh, CFO and, and co-founder, Dylan Smith. Um, and he was our CFO, right? So you had to trust this guy with your money. Um, and uh, it's, it, it's sort of hard to, uh, to trust somebody who looks like they're going to run off to Disneyland with the, uh, with the, with the proceeds. But, but there was one guy where this did fit in really well for. Us. His name is Mark Cuban. And uh, we emailed Mark Cuban, we just sent a cold email, and we said, hey, we got this really cool product, maybe you'd like it, maybe you could write about it on your blog. And it turned out he was really interested. He too believed that you should be able to share your data online, that you should be able to share and manage your information in the cloud. And so he wrote a check for us, and, uh, and that was it. And, uh, and he invested in us while we were still in college, and we decided to really kind of grow Box. The problem is we couldn't focus on school and work. Um, it's really not uh, great customer support when you're answering customers in accounting class. And so, that was, that was the challenge that we were facing. We really wanted to grow. We wanted to be the, the best sort of customer-driven company that was out there. A lot of the companies that came prior started to have really weak products. They started not listening to customers. They started not supporting customers. And we had to be different. And we couldn't do this while also in school. So we looked at three main factors about maybe why, why, why should we leave school? What, what, uh, how does one kind of make the decision to kind of take that leap? The first was there was just less upside. So if we looked um, and uh, if we looked at what it's going to be to, to uh, what it's going to take for us to stay in class and stay and pay uh, pay attention when we felt like we had this really cool cool thing, the upside in in doing it and going on our own um, was way higher. We just felt that if this worked out in both situations, we would be way better off if we just went for it. The second was we thought we had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We realized that everything was going to move to the web. We, we had a computing opportunity that, that had never really happened, uh, never come fully to kind of fruition, and, uh, and we thought that this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Someone's going to do it. We can either be a part of that or not, and we decided to go for it, and, and we had a lot of conviction in that. And frankly, realistically, no one else would hire me, right? So um, I, I just knew that, that you know, I, I, it was going to be way harder in the job market if I, if I just didn't go off and, and start my own thing. And so, um, so we decided let's drop out of school. Um, at, at that point in time, it was a leave of absence. We knew that we, we could leave of absence. We knew we could always go back, and we could always kind of reengage. Um, and it was, it's funny when you uh, when you tell uh, when you tell people like you're going to drop out of school, they you know they freak out. It's like, what are you doing with your life? It's going to ruin it. Um, and it's uh, and, and it's funny because you on your head, you're thinking like, whoa, Michael Dell and Bill Gates, they dropped out of school, and whoa, Steve Jobs dropped out of school. But everybody forgets this guy, right? <laughs> so you know it. It turns out, right? The probability is more in, in becoming and doing this. I don't know if he dropped out, but he must have. But um, <laughs> the, the 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 point is, is that we had to. Um, we we had conviction. We thought it was going to be pretty exciting. So um, we left school. Uh, we uh, we drove up to. Uh, actually, we drove down from Seattle to the Bay Area. We actually uh, we parked in Berkeley for a little while. We uh, lived out of a garage. My uncle owns a garage there that is sort of like a house. It's kind of weird. Um, And uh, we lived there for a little while, and uh, then we ultimately moved to Palo Alto. And we were kind of thinking, how can we grow this business faster? Right? We, we now have, we have, this, we have this business model that, that uh, lets us you know, charge for, for customers and, um, and charge to get users. We have uh, this, uh, this guy, Mark Cuban, who's helping fund us. How can we really reduce the barriers uh, in doing this? And so we decided to launch a, a business model that is now um, you know, fairly standard across these services. But at the time, it was really kind of taking a bet and saying, we're going to put some free space online and let people sign up and, and try it out. And so we introduced Freemium. Uh, and this was, uh, this was the first kind of real thing that kicked off our business model. So instead of blocking users, instead of creating friction around how they were going to sign up for Box, we decided to open it up for free, let you sign up for a, a free gigabyte of space, which now sounds like nothing, but, but back in 2006 when we launched this, it was like a really big deal. Um, and, uh, and we started getting hundreds of thousands of signups a quarter. Um, and so all of a sudden, we just started We just had this massive influx in users. And so people could upgrade and they could start paying for, for better versions of the, the product, but we decided to um, really kind of expand the awareness and the base by, by being more efficient. And this ultimately um, has become a very competitive advantage for us against traditional enterprise and, and kind of larger companies. So that was the sort of early period. We, we launched the company. Uh, we, we had our product. We, we knew we wanted to go to market. And, um, and, and now it's sort of 2007, 2008, we really had to discover ourselves. We really wanted to figure out who we were, what we were building, where, where are we going. And this is sort of a, a, a really interesting period. Um, the business model at this point really changed daily. So we, uh, it was just a bunch of us. Um, we, would, uh, we would live and sleep out of the same place. And, uh, uh, and uh, I guess those two things make sense. But we'd work and sleep out of the same place. Um, and uh, anybody who's not living and sleeping out of the same place probably... Probably should figure out what's going on with themselves. Um, and, uh, and so we, uh, we were at this point where a bunch of the guys would stay up all night, we'd keep the site up, we'd answer customer support, and by the end of the night, we'd have a completely different business model. Because what happened was any two people, any permutation of two employees that would stay up all night would come up and concoct a completely different business model. It was awesome, but it was totally crazy and not something I recommend. But... So we thought, well, maybe we should sell advertising and then we'll make money off of all these users who are using the Box account and we'll start to have ads and they'll see uh, the ads in the product and we'll make money. That didn't make a lot of sense because our kind of application doesn't have the type of scale or volume that you need for media properties uh, to be very interested. And, uh, And we also thought that would hamper the user experience. We also looked at license revenue. Maybe we could license Box to institutions like Stanford, or or maybe we could take this to other places where they could use the technology um, and they could kind of white label the product. And we weren't really in a position where where we wanted to do that. We wanted to kind of own the user experience. We wanted to build the, the best thing that we could, and so we didn't really want to license the technology. We even thought maybe you'll go to your box account and you'll like, get all this cool media from, from guys like Sony and, and all these different places that were normally suing you that they'd you know, send you this media. Um, and uh, we went to Sony in, in New York City uh, and they thought that was the stupidest idea. So, um, uh, so, so they weren't that interested. And so we were at this point where we had to figure out our business model. Um, and this, is, this will kind of take us into the, the period we're in today. We thought to ourselves, we could either stay consumer, We could build a product for for all of our friends, all of our family. We could be the best way that you could share photos. Um, But then we looked at it. We we thought about what is our opportunity to really innovate in that area? Who are we going to be competing with? We looked at at, uh, Google and and Microsoft, people that were going to just dramatically bring down the cost of storage for for consumers. We looked at what Facebook was doing in photos, and we really felt that was a really great way that people were going to communicate. Can we really compete or be innovative in that area? We looked at uh, the music space, as I mentioned, but really thought iTunes, and now we have Spotify, but, um, but uh, we had, we, there were sort of better products on the market that would let you share and consume music. And then we looked at the enterprise. And, and as I mentioned earlier on the Microsoft slide, the, the solutions that people had in their businesses weren't as innovative as we are. And we, we really thought that we could do it better than everybody else. And so enterprises already have budget. They already spend uh, collectively billions and trillions of dollars a year on this type of technology, of managing their data, of helping their businesses communicate, of enabling collaboration, of all of their sort of IT strategies. So, so they have the money, right? Compared to us as consumers, we sort of care about every last dollar that we spend on, on anything. And so we needed, a really, uh, we, we needed to go after a market that could essentially pay for the service. And um, that's, uh, that's a thing called a business model. And uh, we thought that was important. We, we could out-innovate the competition. So what's really interesting is traditional enterprise software usually gets built and deployed in three-year release cycles. So that's why you have products called Outlook 2007 and Outlook 2010 and SharePoint 2007 and SharePoint 2010. Every three years, that product gets updated. That means the second that it's in a customer's environment, it's already out of date. That means somewhere in some lab, somewhere at Microsoft, they're working on an all-new version. That means you're always behind them. And so we knew we could out-innovate these older, these older incumbents uh, who were building technology in the old way. Uh, we, could cons- we could be more like a consumer company, deploy the, con- uh, the, uh, the, the software faster, and this would be a, a dimension where we could innovate uh, and we could have a lot of competitive advantage. Uh, and our customers already wanted this. If we surveyed our customers at that time, they, say, they would say, we want easier ways to collaborate with our colleagues. We want easier ways to manage all the users in our business. And so it was a very sort of natural evolution of the business model, but to do it really completely we had to decide to go all in. We had to put our focus in one area um, because we really had to be as innovative as we could and, uh, and build the best product, product possible. So we chose enterprise. Um, uh, It was a a, a sort of series of events that happened. Uh, We had an investor who was on the board of another SaaS or or software as a service company that was selling the enterprises. So we already had the sort of business model ideas uh, about how we could do this. We had a consultant that was going and selling the product to other people and seeing if they would buy it. We, We listened to the customers and sort of thought about what we could do. And so we decided to go enterprise. And it worked. Almost overnight, companies paid us 10 to 100 times more for our product. That we were beginning to upgrade and, and sell uh, as more of an enterprise solution, and where we were continuing to build up market uh, uh, features for. So instead of the story being about how can you share and manage your, your data with a couple colleagues or a couple friends, it was all about how can a business implement a broader solution that they can use to share information across the organization? Um, and, uh, and, and they really found, found value in this because they were traditionally spending way too much money with legacy solutions that weren't solving their problems, that weren't updating uh, for how people wanted to work today. And we had a new kind of sales model, which made us extremely competitive. And this, I think, is an update that we're starting to see across the industry, uh, across other sort of freemium businesses. We have a sales model where people actually call us. So we have a free version of the product that lots of businesses and lots of users use, but then people actually call us when they want to upgrade for more security, more technology. And so we have a sales team that essentially is talking to people that are already really excited about the product. So it's an inversion on the business model where traditionally you go and call and and email and market to a lot of businesses who aren't using your solution, who don't know about your product, who aren't qualified, who aren't educated about what you're doing. And we've done the exact opposite. So by the time we're talking to somebody on the phone, by the time we're selling to somebody, they're already using the product, it's already solving their problem, they already know it's the right solution for them. Uh, And so now we sort of hit 2009 and it's really a period where we need to scale the organization. Um, it's, it's all about growing. We had our business model, we knew what we needed to repeat, and, and we really wanted to grow. So, Who's read Crossing the Chasm? Okay, well, so everyone should read it, just FYI. Um, there's probably Cliff Notes or something, um, or uh, Wikipedia actually will, will get you pretty far, but uh, Crossing the Chasm is a, is a really uh, uh, seriously helpful book in terms of thinking about technology adoption, uh, both in businesses and even the consumer landscape. Um, and so after the chasm, after this period where, um, where you really kind of have to jump over and be able to get to more pragmatic organizations, less of the early adopters, it's really easy to get early adopters to, to you know, use your solution. Email TechCrunch, TechCrunch email, you know, met, uh, 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 reaches a lot of people and a lot of people sign up. But to get to the more conservative organizations, you really have to build up a, a much bigger business. and uh, and something that they really want to use and is more aligned for them. And so after the the chasm, there's the tornado, and this is where a lot of adoption occurs. Uh, And what we're seeing is in the cloud um, uh, 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 sort of computing space where applications are moving from an on-premise or hardware-driven model to being a more web-delivered model where we're hosting it in our environment and delivering it to you, um, we're starting to enter this tornado period. So you have Salesforce.com has really already kind of hit um, a, a large number of businesses. You have solutions like Workday and SuccessFactors that are uh, beginning to be used as, as ways that people manage the actual employees in their organization. You have Gmail, which is starting to become very popular in businesses. Um, and so we're really in this, this period where a lot of people are adopting the cloud. And so we said we have to be number one. As all of these businesses are going to move to the cloud, we have to be in a position where we can talk to as many of them as possible, where as many of them as possible are using our product, where we can really deliver the solution as, as easily as possible. So since 2009, we've raised 25 million uh, from those investors that I mentioned really to scale up. We wanted to build the best organization possible. And so uh, it was really about building the best team we could. Uh, we, uh, we hire out of Google, out of Intuit, out of Salesforce.com, out of Microsoft, LinkedIn, eBay. So we want to be able to bring talents from lots of different kinds of organizations to help us grow uh, and really build the organization. And so this is something that uh, uh, that we've really focused on. How do we bring the best possible people into our organization? And we borrow from everyone. So a lot of product innovation that happens in the consumer web in terms of how we're much more social, how we're much more connected, how our applications actually talk to each other. So if you're using Facebook and how you might interact with FarmVille, uh, which is really fun, uh, and then uh, and, and see those updates on um, – uh, has anybody played CityVille? Okay, wrong demo. Okay, got it. So, um, so uh, uh, all these applications can now talk to each other, and we want to bring that idea and that philosophy into the enterprise. Um, where where you're going to be able to interact among multiple applications and have this data talk to each other seamlessly. That's an idea from the product and enterprise web, but we're bringing it to the cloud. Uh, We take marketing ideas from Hollywood. So how do you do big launches? How do you make a lot of noise? How do you get people to pay attention to your product as opposed to everybody else? And support from Zappos, right Uh, a company that is is totally known for how great their customer support is when you're buying shoes. But why is it that when you want to talk to somebody uh, in an enterprise software company, it's so much harder to get their attention? Right? It feels like they're only selling to you. It doesn't feel like they're supporting you. Um, and so we've been able to redesign the sales organization to be much more customer-centric than any enterprise software has ever become. And, uh, and these are the things where you can take lessons from the different organizations out there that have competed uh, on your behalf for, for solving some other problem and we're bringing it to market in our own way. Um, and so we've, we've been able to borrow from a, a, lot, of, uh, a lot of lessons from other, other places. Culture, at this point, will make or break us. We're at 130 people, right? The next 130 people matter a whole lot to make sure that, that they're people that we really want to work with that are going to continue to drive the innovation of Box Forward, that are really going to be able to take us to the, to the next uh, level. So my co-founder and I still approve all offers. We make sure that that we are still building an organization and we make sure we still have the the discipline to build a company um, that that has the kind of people we want around, the kind of people we want to work with. We want fun people, we want energetic people, we want um, a lot of uh, 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 really kind of quick, low ego, very collaborative people. We want people who are very relentless. So you have to balance motivation, but also the capability to get the actual work done. Um, and this is, uh, these are, it's hard to find um, the, the exact people you want to work with and, um, and we make sure we have the discipline to continue doing that. And we let go of the people that don't because ultimately um, life's too short to not build an organization that you want to work at. And, uh, and that's the greatest opportunity I think for, for starting companies and, um, and, and helping found companies, being early at companies. You get to define um, what kind of organization you want to build. And so it's a lot of fun. We're, we're, uh, we're, we're building up a culture that matters the most. And so today, <coughs> sorry. Um <coughs> I apparently can't drink water. So <coughs> can we edit this out of the video? Is this live streaming on like Twitter or something? Okay. Okay, cool. Actually, who's using Twitter right now? Anybody tweet anything yet? Did you say something good or, or something? Okay, cool. <coughs> okay, so uh, today's vision is uh, to build a different kind of enterprise software company, right? Traditionally, enterprise software companies aren't the types of, of businesses that that you know people um, uh, your age, or um, my age, or uh, different ages um, uh, decide to start, right? It's a much slower industry. The development takes a lot longer. You're not always the same, cust- you're not always building something that you can use. Uh, and we're trying to build a company that changes that, right? So we're trying to build a technology that is extremely innovative, something that we want to use all day long. In fact, we're doing a major announcement tomorrow of a completely new version of the application. Uh, the person, um, uh, uh, coincidentally, who's leading up the development of that application right now was the CEO of a company um, that, uh, that got started out of Stanford, um, uh, 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 Kimber Lockhart and Jeff Seibert, uh, who were both very involved in ETL and bases. We were very fortunate to be able to bring their company uh, into ours about a, a year and a half ago. Now Kimber's leading the whole development of this brand new version. So um, we're all about building new kinds of software, new kinds of technology, um, and, and delivering it in a different kind of way. So that's what we're doing at Box. And I thought, um, as, if, uh, as if I haven't shared enough information, there's maybe like three or five kind of quick lessons that hopefully will be useful um, in terms of as you're thinking about uh, uh, building a company. The first is, oh, actually this isn't a lesson, but this is a reminder. Um, you're really, really fortunate. Seriously, there's very few places in the world where, where we have as much opportunity as we do. People are literally underwriting our ability to go change the world. Um, and not taking advantage of that is, is a complete you know, waste and so um, you know, uh, Silicon Valley is sort of like the Disneyland of capitalism uh, where you can really choose what you want to do, what you want to work on assuming it's really exciting, assuming some people think that they're going to change the world with you um, that, that uh, they might make money in the process, then you can build whatever you want and so that's really important. So lesson one, do something that wasn't possible three years ago. Um, Pretty much if you're looking at a a business opportunity that that you could have done five or ten years ago, it might be too late um, or it might not be different enough uh, to make a lot of people care. And that's ultimately what what it takes to to kind of scale. And so look for new technologies that are enabling your solution. Right? Box wasn't possible in 2000. It wasn't possible to scale up in 2000. The enabling technology was cheaper storage, better browsers, more connected devices, more uh, really kind of faster internet. Um, Cultural changes, Right? what made Facebook possible? That we want to share information and we want to be more connected. Uh, or macro trends. What are the sort of macroeconomic trends where people want to save money so all of a sudden we go buy things half off at Groupon that we don't really want? Those types of things um, are really important to, uh, uh, to, to starting a business. Do something that you're extremely passionate about. This is another lesson... Um, that I've learned over the first three things that that I had started in college. Uh, If you're not really passionate about what you're doing, it's totally great. You'll be excited about it. Maybe when things are going well, it's going to be really hard to get other people passionate about what you're doing. And ultimately, it's it's really um, hard to kind of think out five years. Where is your company going to be five years from now? Do you really want to be doing what you're working on? Uh, Startups are very hard, right? There's a lot of bad news that happens every single day. Uh, Bad things in the competitive space, bad things with hiring, uh, and you have to be able to push on through. And so you have to do something that's actually really, really exciting um, that you're going to be inspired about and that you're going to really kind of create inspiration for other people. Uh, Don't compromise. As I was mentioning earlier, one of the coolest things about starting your your own company uh, is you get to make a lot of decisions, right? You don't have to, um, you don't actually have to compromise or sacrifice on a a lot of things. You don't have to sacrifice on who you work with. You don't have to compromise on on how you're going to do your marketing or how you're going to build your technology. So we think about things in terms of best. What's the best team that we can build to solve this problem? What's the best technology we can produce to solve this problem? What's the best way we can talk about this and, and communicate it with our public relations? How can we do the best marketing? So ultimately, this is all in your control. Uh, you get to make these decisions and, and it's a really exciting opportunity when you do. Um, and lesson four is sort of if you feel comfortable, you're probably not doing it right. right? I mean, the, the, there's a lot of hard decisions that go into business who you're going to work with, how you're going to compete, what's the strategy, are you going to raise money, are you going to leave school? Uh, and so you're going to have to go beyond, well beyond your comfort zone. There's a lot of decisions that aren't going to be very easy to make, um, and that's, uh, that's actually a good sign. Um, so it's actually a good thing when you don't really know what the answer is um, or you don't know if you should do it this way, and you make that leap, and, and that's, uh, that's pretty important. And also, finally, don't write your obituary too early. This is a mistake that we've made um, a handful of times. And, and fortunately, uh, we didn't do it in, in such a way that... Uh, uh, that we couldn't work our way out of but uh, we've been extremely competitive with Google and Microsoft and EMC and these other larger companies who normally we shouldn't be afraid of uh, and the venture capitalists are often afraid of these guys um, and, uh, and, and so um, uh, don't write, your, write yourself off, make sure that, uh, that, that you kind of keep on pushing, make sure that you're optimizing on the right dimensions um, and, and areas that you can beat uh, other people in and so that's really important and, and why we still have the company today and if if it turns out that these five lessons don't work for you, um, we're actually hiring. So uh, uh, we, uh, we want, uh, we are really excited by people uh, that start their own companies. But we're also excited about people who are passionate about learning in companies that are, that are quickly growing and, and want to um, be a part of that. And I, I think um, uh, while I do push heavily on, on starting companies, getting out there and trying things, uh, there's as much value in, in going to startups right now um, and learning uh, for yourself how companies are being built. Because maybe it's two years later that you start that company, um, but at least being in the environment and learning kind of uh, firsthand with what goes on is extremely helpful. Um, and I think, uh, I think both routes are incredibly important. Important, um, but uh, uh, you know, just don't work for McKinsey or something like that. But um, uh, I think that uh, you know, definitely join startups and and, uh, and have a good time while you're doing it. So that's that's my presentation. Um, it was 33 minutes, so we didn't take too much time. We're all good. Um, and I don't. And so, what do we do now?
0: We're going to take questions. Okay, okay good. Okay, cool, thank you
1: very
0: much. Super. One, one rule.
1: I have one rule though. Uh, I was promised no hard questions.
0: No, so, uh, okay. no, we said really hard questions, so... Uh,
1: okay, I, I misheard.
0: Yes, we're going to start with the uh, students at 178. Anybody have a question? Not no, nice. no, okay. Um, yeah. Well, then I'm going to ask, Heidi's going to ask it. Uh, I'm going to start. Uh, this came up actually, we, have, we did a blog ahead of time where we all commented about what we were going to ask you today. Yeah. And one of the questions that came up was, you started a business with your best friend. Yes. And you remained best friends even while you lived together, worked together. And one of the students wanted to know,
1: Yeah. and I wish that student would ask, but I'll ask instead, there must have been some tough times. There must have been some really challenging moments. And yet, you're still best friends and you're still running the company together. Can you share a few war stories about how you got through some of the, what those tough times were and how you got through them? And do you recommend starting businesses with your best friends? Um, yeah, great, great question. Wow, okay. Um, so, the good news is my best friend wasn't named Eduardo, so um, that, that made things uh, a, a little bit easier. Um, we, uh, so, so, Dylan and, and myself and actually the third and fourth employees of Box, we actually all went to high school together up in Seattle. And so, we, we knew each other extremely well. We already kind of knew each other ticks. Um, uh, like Dylan likes to save money, so don't ask to borrow money from him, right? That's just like a, a no-no. Um, and, uh, and so we, uh, we were an opportunity where we had already collaborated for a very long time. I realize that's extremely unusual in terms of as you're starting companies in college. Um, but what we – you know I think we kind of both the, – the, us and, and even the, the, the kind of third and fourth guys that, that we went to school with, we all realized that, that we're trying to have the most amount of fun. We're, we're trying to have the largest amount of impact. We're trying to not let the things that happen in the business world, um, you know, kind of uh, impact our, our our own relationships. What's also kind of interesting, though, to be fair, is our relationships have over time transitioned into uh, to being more business-oriented relationships. And so we're often talking about business. We're talking about the technology, talking about the product. And so it's sort of almost hard to to, to blur the uh, to uh, to separate the two at this point. Um, you know, when you are when you are uh, uh, when I shared a bedroom with two other guys for for six months. Um, and this was like not a submarine. This was in a. Uh, this was like in a regular room. Um, and when you get uh, when you get to know people that well. Um there's a certain kind of humming that can happen and you're in sort of everyone's thinking each other's thoughts and um, there's a lot of excitement but uh, but it can be a risk there's a lot of situations where people have separated from their their co-founders there's a lot of situations where people have separated from um, their, their partners uh, in, in life right and, and uh, that hasn't worked out so um, there's really many ways that that can end up I would just recommend being as open as, as communicative as possible make sure that uh, that everyone's on the same page at all times the one benefit not the one there's many uh, a big benefit to, to starting companies with people you do know know, um, is there's a much higher degree of trust. We, we, we've been able to, um, almost through peer pressure just that is sort of social in nature and subtle in nature, make sure that we're all in this together at all times. Um, and it's this, it's this level of bond which means that uh, we know that no, one, they're not, no one's going like, to leave if something goes wrong or if, if there's going to be a problem. That's a level of, of I think, tightness that um, comes when you have a, a, a bigger and better relationship with people. But over time, you also have to build those kinds of relationships with the new people that come into Box. And so we've, we've tried to create that type of familiarity with, with everyone that we're working with. So, uh, so that—that's how's that for a really long answer that maybe didn't answer your question? Good. good. Great. Okay. okay. We have a question here. Maybe this is too simple of a question, but um, what, why do you think um, those software giants did not crush you? Uh, well, it's not too late for them to crush us, so um, let's, uh, let's, not, um, let's knock on wood. But um, the, uh, uh, you know, I, I think what, what's great is when you have a, a technology and a company that's super focused, right? We have 130 people, right, about two miles away, that spend you know, hopefully on a good day 14 hours, some days you know, 10 or 12 hours, focusing just on how are we going to grow and build the absolute best technology to manage and share data, right? No organization has that level of focus where 100% of their time, 100% of the conversations that they have, 100% of the alignment of their organization is toward one goal, right? If you go to Microsoft, they actually have like seven solutions competing with us. Right among another 150 things like, like uh, Xbox Connect. Right, so can we beat an organization like that? Yes, if we focus and if we if we compete on dimensions that they're not going to be very good at things like virality, things like customer experience, things like product experience. Right, um, and uh, and ultimately it's a very big market. So we don't have to be we don't have to put Microsoft out of business. I'm not saying short Microsoft right now, um, but uh, 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 there's a very big space and, and we're playing an important. Uh, area in that space, and we're trying to just bring the best technology we can to our customers. And usually if you do that, good things happen. You might not kind of crush everybody, and that's not necessarily the goal anyway. It's, it's really to kind of bring about new change in the space. And, uh, and, and you know, uh, I think your odds are, are on your side to, for, for you to have a, a pretty good opportunity with that. So, Don't compete with Facebook right now, probably. The network effects are too strong. Um, but uh, I mean, maybe unless you got something brilliant. But, um, like, yep, cool.
0: What's your opinions on Dropbox, and do you see it to be a direct competition to a Box.net in five years time?
1: Cool. So, are there any other questions in the audience?
0: <laughs> <laughs> is,
1: is there uh, anybody who's uh, who knows a little less about this space? So, uh, great question. So, um, so you know, Dropbox, I think, is a, is a really great way that you can kind of manage and, and, sh- and share your own kind of personal data, especially if you have a Mac, a PC, an iPhone, all these kinds of devices. That's something that, that we've we've tried to solve. We we, uh, we try and solve. And We get better at it every day, Um, but but, uh, our big focus and big difference is that we're trying to enable enterprises to share and manage all of their data. So it's not just about you and your computer, it's actually about all the people that you're working with, all of the applications that you're working from. Um, So if you're working in Salesforce.com, or if you're working in NetSuite, or if you're working on uh, on, uh, on an application like SugarCRM, you can bring your data to those places. Those are very kind of uh, business-oriented areas that we compete on. And uh, it's a really important area. So we want to we both make sure that people are, are using the product at, at an end user level, but most importantly is we're building a technology that, that the enterprise itself can adopt. And we're just doing that in a very different way than what traditional enterprise companies have done. You mentioned earlier about boring marketing from Hollywood. Okay. Um, so what marketing brought Vox.net to the scale you have right now? Got it. Um, well, uh, let's see here my co-founder was never on TMZ so that uh, it wasn't that um, although he was on a TV show um, I will not take questions about that and uh, you should you should research that yourself It's kind of funny and, and awkward um, but uh, 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 so there's you know I, I think positioning yourself in the market is extremely important these are the kind of things that you should get right early on, but usually you can't Get really right until um, until you have more users, until the market itself is kind of uh, 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 created and better understood. And so, um, uh, things like uh, publicity and marketing and these kind of things, uh, we've just gotten way better at over time. Uh, does anybody here have a car? Is that? Okay, okay, like three people, good. So um, uh, if you've ever been on the 101, it's a highway near here. Um, uh, uh, we actually have two billboards uh, right now that are announcing the new version of our product. And so we want to, we want to make sure that, that we're standing out in the space, that, that people are paying attention to this change in enterprise software. Uh, and there's a lot of things that, that we're doing to make that happen. Um, you said, um, kind of the last slide, don't write your right too early. Yes. Were there your three previous companies, you wrote your history at a decent time. Quite yes. too, too late, action? actually. <laughs> um, how do you know the difference between an idea like ZipZap, where you're saying, okay, Google's even better, shut it down, versus Box where you saying, we've got some competition, yeah. so we can do it better? Great, great question. So, with ZipZap, it was, it was just obvious. Like, that was just a stupid idea. Like, that, that it didn't make any sense. We weren't actually faster. We probably weren't even the 10th fastest site on the internet for, for searching. Um, uh, and so, it, that, that was just, we, we kind of knew it, right? That was a, a gut check. Um, in, um, but you know, there's this philosophy of fail fast, right? You want to you want to test things on the market, and you want to turn them off if they're not working. Uh, and uh, uh, your ability to succeed as a startup goes up with your ability to do that, right? Because you're constantly iterating, you're constantly trying, you know, new versions of uh, and new ways and new experiences of doing things. So you have to be able to turn things off. Um, you know, I think there's there's one part, you know, science for some of this stuff. Like literally, if there's no uptake, maybe it's maybe you know you're too early in the market, you haven't marketed it the right way. Make sure to kind of revisit, you know, what, what you're doing or or what that looks like as it relates to kind of competitive threats. Um, it's important to, to really think about how people are going to be competing with you on what, what are the factors that they're going to compete with you on uh, and how you, can, um, how you essentially can compete with them in ways that th- it's not possible for them, right? So um, uh, for, for a solution like Microsoft or EMC or, um, or some of these larger enterprise companies, we're able to do something that, that would require them to essentially cannibalize some major revenue streams. So we can actually compete with them and, and on a dimension and at a scale um, that we don't think they're very good at. Um, and we think that's going to uh, create a pretty big advantage for us. Um, I think in, in other areas, it can, it's a much softer kind of you know, question and, and, uh, uh, that you have to ask yourself. But um, I think continuing to iterate, continuing to make sure that the product you know, likes what you're doing uh, is going to be pretty important. And, um, and I'm sure that there will be other speakers this quarter that can walk you through the rest of that. You mentioned earlier that um, when you have a great idea at hand, that you know I have a potential impact uh, to get it out on the market and get feedback really soon. Yeah. But how do you know who to trust for feedback? And especially with your philosophy of openness, yeah. how do you guard your intellectual property and ensure <coughs> that no one takes your idea and implements it before you do it? And like, Or you might get sued for some of the property or ideas you share. Yeah. yeah. So... um, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. So um, it's sort of differentiation and, and, and defensibility and kind of you know, how do you create kind of some barriers around that with, uh, w- with your product, especially as you're beginning to test it out. Uh, I think there's some pretty uh, – uh, uh, so the, the quick answer is just give it out to people that you trust at first. Um, uh, you know, I think that assuming your, your friends aren't out to crush you, um, uh, you could probably trust them with your product. Uh, you know, of course, the Winklevosses probably said the same thing, but um, <laughs> uh, I, I think that uh, uh, you know, if, you can, uh, if you can have other people around you try the product and, and really educate you, know, you on, on what's going on and, and how you, uh, what you should do, that's pretty important. Um, I actually think that – so it's interesting. So on one hand, you have to kind of go your own route and you have to be able to deflect all the people that are telling you no. On the other hand, you, you, you probably should listen to everybody and it's your responsibility to synthesize what people are telling you. And, and making sure you're making the decision on based on that information. We got a lot of feedback that was sort of negative in nature or, or, uh, or, or critical in nature that ultimately was super helpful right, with the product development. When, when that person said, but what about Gmail? Then we realized that the market might say, what about Gmail? And so we have to build a product and we have to build marketing. And we have to be able to build a solution that solves that problem. Um, and so, uh, so you know, offered out to early people, uh, beta access, you know, private alpha, you know, one of these, you know, some other kind of you know, Greek letter or whatever is, is probably fine or uh, uh, Latin, what, what, what language is that, Dan? Greek. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, I don't know what you guys are pointing. Okay. Great, right. up
0: here. Um,
1: so I'm sort of wondering with the mobile space growing so big, how do you f- see open, or ooh, almost a Dropbox, Box um, fitting into sort of that mobile space and you know, enterprises maybe moving to people doing more from their phones and doing more from, you know, on the go versus just in-house? Yeah, so, um, so mobile is, is, uh, is, is huge for us. Um, when I, I looked back at uh, our original sort of business kind of plan and prospectus that we wrote in 2005, and we actually had this section for mobility, and we said people are going to want to access their, their data on mobile phones. Um, what's funny is at the time, the only concept we had for mobile phones was like a flip phone, and we thought we'd like SMS you your document. Um, so it was like totally crazy. But then, you know, you know, God bless Steve Jobs, iPhone totally changed the whole market, Android came along, we had these way more powerful systems, some way more powerful platforms that were way more open, and there were a lot of people kind of competing on our, our behalf. So we don't have to go make gigantic partnerships just to be able to get on your phone, that, that's really important. Uh, and so now enterprises, um, starting about a year ago, uh, they really started to pay attention to this new way of mobility. It wasn't just about we're going to have Blackberries in our organization, we're just going to have Windows phones. Um, uh, things like the iPad have really been adopted by enterprises uh, uh, more than we expected. Um, and so what that has created is an opportunity where mobility is, is, uh, is way more important for organizations. And not just mobility of how you access your email uh, or how, do you, uh, how you kind of communicate with people on these phones, but actually how do you get rich business applications, rich business data uh, on these devices. And so um, I'll give you an example. So uh, does anybody golf? Okay. You heard of the company TailorMade? Okay, so TaylorMade is like a major golf uh, uh, manufacturer and supplier and so they have uh, a bunch of iPads uh, and uh, they go to, uh, to the people that they need to be able to sell their solutions to uh, and they've decided to use iPads for that process instead of printing out and, and kind of using laptops for all this information. Now to do that they have to get the data from their organization to these iPads. And so what do you think they chose? Box. Good, let's answer that question like that. Very good. And, um, and so they, uh, they implemented Box. They implemented our enterprise solution to be able to solve that problem. And now they have 100 networked iPads that are getting this data. And so, so the iPad alone was a new macro factor that, that caused our business to grow and that created a new opportunity. And that was... So you can't ever predict what, how these macro factors are going to change, but your ability to respond to them, that's, what's, that's what you can do. And so uh, we want to be at the center of the, the sort of mobile business ecosystem uh, and make sure that we have the best ways that people can manage and share their data on these mobile devices. Okay, we'll do this. Yeah, you said you cold emailed Mark Cuban. Yes. And I, I don't know. I wanted to hear a little bit more about that and like how you get money from Mark Cuban when you're 19 years old. Yeah. Okay. So I was 20 and my co-founder was 19. If that helps. Um, that that uh, that won't change the answer too much. But um, uh, uh so yeah, great, great question. So it was great. We were at a point where we actually didn't know the rules of business at this point. Um, so we thought like you know emailing Mark Cuban was like the thing that you do. You just you know you send a billionaire an email and maybe he'll respond. And uh, in this case, when we I promise you we freaked out when he did respond because it was like what is going on? We, we're in this alternate universe. Um, what's funny? This is before entourage and stuff. And like like the, the, I'm sure he started getting like a thousand of those emails every single day after you know he financed turtles tequila company or whoever did that. I don't even know. Um, so, uh, uh, so we, we called emailed Mark Cuban. We didn't ask for investment. We said, take a look at the, our, our new product. We'd love you to write it on, on your blog. He's got a, uh, a site called Blog Maverick. And he decided to write about the product, and, and he got really interested in it. And he said, well, this is kind of interesting. Do you guys need money? Um, and so it was sort of by starting the relationship very casually that, that we engaged him, and, um, and he became pretty interested. And, uh, and, and we just got super lucky. But the lesson, I think, that can apply to other things, and we've done this a lot since then, is you just can't predict, right? What, what, who's going to respond to what? And so the sort of relentlessness that you have to have in growing your business and uh, and building your company and making sure to continue to, to push on every possible you know way that you can uh, is really important because we're not in the, the business of kind of predicting who's going to respond to us, who's going to care about us, but we're we're in the business of telling as many people as possible. So it, it worked out. I don't know that uh, that it works out today. Try it on Peter Teal. We'll see what happens. So.
0: Good. Um,
1: so you talked about uh, Moore's law, especially in like enabling the SaaS model, um, in terms of like a decrease in the cost of technology, especially for storage, for yep. example. But as Moore's law, I guess, extends as it progresses, and and database, uh like storage and bandwidth, and all these things get even more cheap. Um, do you think that would have any any like effects on, um, for example, the SaaS model in terms of if a, if an enterprise can. Do this for really cheap? Why? Why would they do it off-site when they can just do it, you know, by themselves in their at their own site without the security
0: concerns or any of the other associated problems?
1: With staff? Yeah, so, yeah. So the question was um, was if more law, Moore's law benefits us, why doesn't it also equally benefit our customers on uh, building their own infrastructure? Is that right? So um, yeah, uh, totally neat question. So the um, uh, two things. One is we're building an application that we think um, really adds. A, a tremendous amount of value on top of the storage layer, the, the area that, that is Moore's Law is actually affecting. Moore's Law is not enabling us to build a better uh, uh, user experience and product to help you collaborate. It's making our cost much cheaper. Um, and so that's pretty important. So we have that as sort of a, a pretty big advantage. Um, but you know, what, what's happening is it, it's not so much – the issue for enterprises isn't so much that, um, uh, that it was too expensive to manage the hardware in their organizations. Uh, it was that they had to become more agile and they had to become a little bit more strategic in, in terms of how they thought about the technology that, that they were bringing in. Um, and so uh, we actually did this on our own. We actually used to use um, uh, Outlook and Exchange, and we used to have email servers in our company that manage our email. And the day that we moved over to, to Gmail, right, it was this big difference. And instead of figuring out how to back up our email servers, instead of how to figure out how to make sure our email servers were connected to the outside world, instead of having to manage the security around that, Our IT administrator instantly turned on Gmail. Gmail and Google handle all that security. um, And uh, and it was much easier for us. And so those are the factors that that I think we're starting to recognize, is that um, IT organizations and businesses are trying to become much more strategic about their technology. Um, And so they're beginning to implement solutions that other people are helping power, assuming the security is there, assuming the scalability is there. And so the reason why Moore's Law is super great for us is that um, we can take all of these organizations' data and we can, we can actually constantly stay on top of the latest technology trends because we have the, we have the economies of scale and motivations to do so um, much more than, than all of our customers could um, if they were disaggregated. And, uh, and so that's why we can kind of build up a, a pretty big platform in that sense. But um, it, it will certainly be interesting to see how this, uh, um, you know, how this uh, uh, emerges. Maybe there'll be like a server that's like this big and you like hold it in your pocket um, and, uh, and then that'll like disrupt us again. So we'll, we'll see what happens.
0: Let me, um, back there. Speak up really loud. Well. Yeah. Um, you,
1: you keep mentioning culture. Um, you said you had 130 people. How do you keep that culture going when it was like the same small group of you guys? I mean, you guys were buddies. Now, how does that extend to 130 and beyond? And is it a culture of innovation? Do You take innovation from inside, or how does that work for you guys? Yeah, so, so this is something that we, we spend a lot of time on. Um, we, uh, we, we have um, a, a large you know, portion of, not, a, not necessarily disproportionate, but a, a good portion of our management attention is on how do we build out the, 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 the culture in the right way as we scale. So if you think about it, someone we hire today, uh, as just someone who's going to be an engineer uh, or someone who's going to, to be doing sales, will actually probably, if they're, if they're really good, be a manager right in, in 6 or 12 months from now. And that means that because of the rate at which we're growing our organization. So we have to hire people today that can actually be leaders later, um, and that's, that's really critical. And so first is just the criteria in which, and, and, uh, of who you're hiring, right? Um, the, the qualifications of that individual, our hiring process to make sure we're bringing in people that we want to work with, that we think are skilled uh, enough to, uh, to be able to be really innovative and be able to work really hard. Uh, and we push on people and, and uh, uh, you know, set really big goals. So you can actually start to see what people can't meet those goals. Um, what, what kind of people aren't fitting in this high performance you know, really kind of quick uh, environment? Because that's the only way we're going to be competitive, right? We're, we're in the business of, of getting a lot of people together, building a really good technology, and the only way we can do that um, is if we have the, the best people to do that. And so uh, we have to make sure we're constantly hiring the best people. Um, we have some sort of uh, mechanisms that, that help us do that. Um, and what was the second part of your question? I mean, are you bringing in innovation? Yes, yeah, great. Yeah, so um, innovation is is critically important. Um, uh, I I spend – I I actually need to read some more books on this in terms of like what happens to companies when they stop innovating? Like why why does that happen? That totally sucks, right? Um, And uh, as a startup, Everything you do matters so much, right? Your leverage is just the people that you're working on that project with. Nobody's there for the paycheck. You're there to really change as much as you possibly can. And so you want to maintain that when you have 100 people, when you have 500 people, when you have 1,000 people. And so we have, a, we have a couple forcing functions that help with that. Uh, we, have this, uh, we have this thing that uh, uh, you know, Facebook certainly popularized, the hackathon. So uh, so once every three or six months, all of our engineers stay up all night and they can work on any single project that, that they want to. It's totally um, up to them. And, uh, and that gives us an opportunity to, to have things that are outside of the, the sort of day-in, day-out business that let us kind of figure out what, what new uh, is out there that we want to work with, work on. Google has the 20% time. We do this more in like a, a sort of a, a consolidated period where we're going to put out a lot of work. And so what comes from that is um, we were the first company to release HTML5. Drag and drop uh, file uploading and, and technology uh, 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 like that in, in this space. Um, we have this uh, thing that's launching tomorrow, which which enables Box to be real time, um, and so it's going to be really powerful. And, and that's a uh, it's, it's these kinds of things that uh, that just don't make their way on the regular product management uh, uh, sorry product roadmap. And so you have to be able to have forcing functions that say, how are we going to do this uh, in a completely new way? And then I think finally we just try and encourage it across the organization. Um, every problem that we're trying to solve, we're as collaborative as we can to solve it, and we look for the best sort of uh, uh, way that we can we can solve that problem. And we don't necessarily uh, just look at what is the what have other organizations done. We actually look at what should be possible and what should we do. So uh, you know, a lot of stuff go into it. There's not a, 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 a sort of a, a single way that you do that, um, but uh, it definitely takes a lot of discipline to make sure it continues throughout your organization as you hire people. Great right. over there. I have, like, a two-part question. Oh, yeah. I, know, uh, I know you studied business uh, back when you did attend school. Um, number one, how much of that is actually applicable to, like, what you guys are doing now? Yeah. Number two, when you were starting, uh, were you, like, programming at the same time or did you guys hire external programmers, like, freelancers and stuff like that? Sure, sure. sure. So, um... Uh, uh, so I, I didn't probably get far enough along with my education um, where I took relevant courses. Um, uh, so it was at that period where you sort of read about like Othello, and then uh, you somehow you somehow try and think how that would apply to, to cloud computing. Um, but um, uh, so I, I, didn't, I just didn't get far enough along in that uh, journey. Um, I actually also tried to have sort of a, a diverse mix of courses. Took some film stuff, some communication stuff. Try to you know blend a lot of things. I certainly learned how to like whiteboard. Uh, in college that was that was useful um, but uh, and now actually to make up for it I read a, sh- uh, I, uh, I read a lot of books um, and um, uh, so I sort of call it the bathtub MBA um, so uh, you can actually read a lot of books uh, in in a bathtub session so um, uh, okay that's fine um, So uh, uh, so a uh, lot, of, lot of books, Crossing the Chasm, uh, 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 books like Blue Ocean Strategy, really recommend it. Positioning uh, is a great book. So there's just the good thing is a lot of people are writing about this stuff and you can read a lot about it and you can watch seminars like this online to kind of catch up for it. So um, I think a lot of the early stuff was intuition and the fact that we had already been, uh, I'd already been working on internet stuff with the people that, that we ultimately kind of co-founded uh, and that and kind of came on box and so already kind of knew about uh, the, the product stuff. So when we were first starting Box, uh, it was co-founded by myself and, and our CFO. And um, I was actually, uh, throughout college, uh, I, I, I was sort of an amateur web designer um, and uh, did a lot of kind of uh, product stuff and put together stuff on the web. Um, but uh, for some of the initial kind of back-end coding, we actually uh, we, we got some other folks to do it. I couldn't convince any of my engineering friends. So we put the prototype up um, that was, uh, was, uh, was built. And, uh, and then the, the great thing of, of uh, our two um, our VP of Technology and our VP of Technical Operations um, that uh, we went to high school with ultimately joined us to run the, the kind of two technology uh, parts of the business. So all the servers and all the scaling of those servers, and then all the code and the architecture of, of that uh, that technology. So, but but business programs are, are really good. Um, uh, I, uh, I no, I do think they are really important. Pay attention to uh, everything and um, and uh, do your stuff.
0: Great. Okay. We're going to take one more question back in the very back. Speak
1: really loud. So, you, know, you talk about you were founded five years ago. And about, you talk about yeah, we're replacing SharePoint. You talk about you know, Facebook replaced MySpace. You know,
0: what are you doing to make sure that in five years someone stops saying where you are with a big line and slash through
1: your name, talking about how out of date and uh, inefficient you are? And I know. That- Doesn't that it suck? It's like I I, I, it, I, I don't know. I, I, mean, I make fun of Steve Ballmer so much that it, it probably out of karma it'll happen. Um, the uh, uh, so. Um, I, I think that, uh, uh, great question by the way and, and hopefully you'll help with that roadmap. Uh, uh, um, uh, we, um, uh, I, I think that right now as an organization we are so motivated to, to build the best product possible. We're so ma- motivated in terms of always staying ahead of the market. You know, If that motivation changes, right? and I think what happens is at some point in organizations they might either be more profit seeking or they might be um, really kind of in just like let's let it ride kind of mode. But there's a lot of organizations where that hasn't happened. Uh, and I think we're trying to learn from the organizations where there is this constant drumbeat of innovation, where there is this constant drumbeat of let's, you know, let's have uh, some forcing functions for, for, uh, uh, for us to constantly improve the technology um, where, where we can always kind of be a, a, a step ahead of the market. And so um, something that I personally do is, is basically on a weekly basis just look at how the market has changed. Look at what people are doing. What what is our competitive strategy that, that's going to keep us ahead in, in different areas? And we actually do a lot of things internally to make sure we have a lot of momentum around the areas where we're the best at. Um, and uh, and so we can stay ahead uh, in those areas, and we can also stay competitive uh, in the areas where we're not the best. And so you know, check in in five years, uh, we'll, we'll see where we're at. But I think that the, the uh, if you constantly treat. Your organization, as a startup, and you constantly think about um, uh, 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 how do you stand out and st- hand, how do you stay a- ahead. I-, I think it's uh, it's a much better way to not kind of ultimately get disrupted by something that's going to come and be cheaper or faster. Now they certainly might say that, um, but we're going to make sure that's not possible.
0: Great, thank you so cool. much. Thank this you. is absolutely terrific. Oh, cool. thank you.